Welcome to the Keon Sports Podcast. I am your host, Vince McKee. As you guys have listened and heard over the last couple months, we've had you know dozens upon dozens of professional wrestlers on the show, managers, valets, uh, superstars, Hall of Famers, and now even referees. And we have on a legendary referee today, Mickey Henson. Very excited to speak with Mickey, talk about his time in the industry, and really just kind of go down the line. This is a guy who worked for, uh, obviously, the AWA, WCW, um, WWE, and uh, even did some refereeing in the newly formed ECW at that time. So we're going to talk to him about all that. Uh, sit back, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Mickey Henson. <laughs> Welcome to the Keon Sports Podcast. I am your host, Vince McKee, and as we said in the opening, our guest today is Mickey Henson, longtime referee in the world of professional wrestling. Without any further ado, let's get Mickey to the phone. All right, thank you for joining us now. Mickey Henson, uh, longtime referee, as we spoke about in the opening. Mickey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all. You know, I uh, I followed your career as, as a fan for a long time, and then you know now as a journalist, we we love having uh, former uh, professional wrestlers and referees and managers on the show, and kind of finding out you know, yes sir. So doing some of my research on you, uh, I found out you were a big Bobby Heenan fan growing up, and uh, you know why was that? I mean I think it's a pretty easy question because a lot of people loved Bobby Heenan, but what was it about him that you enjoyed the most? Bobby, in my opinion, was probably the most talented performer out of everybody. Um, uh, as as a little kid, I was always attracted to the heels more more so than the, the baby faces or the good guys. And Bobby, Bobby, he could make he could make something happen out of nothing. He was that good. Um, he could uh, get the crowd to react just by his facial expressions. Um, I was actually the uh, president of the Bobby Heenan fan club when I was uh, 14 years old. So uh, um, to me, he was just the best overall performer. He enhanced anyone he was with. Um uh, when I first first seen Bobby, he was managing Blackjack Lanza back in the AWA, uh, who of course feuded with the Crusher, and then along uh, came Nick Bockwinkle and then Ray Stevens, and they held the tag team championship with Bobby as their manager for years, and. Um, Plus, he was, he was always one of the guys I always tried to hang with because you never had a bad day if you were around Bobby. He could make you laugh. He was, uh, he was so quick-witted. Um, he was just an awesome, awesome guy. You know, um, you had, like, such a blessing early on, learning from guys like Dusty Rhodes, Steve Kearns, and Mike Graham. What was it like to be around guys like Dusty Rhodes, Kearns, and Mike Graham so early in your career? Well, everything basically was a learning experience uh, for me. Um, Dusty uh, had one of the best best minds for 
storytelling. Um, I was very blessed to have been around him. Uh, Mike Graham, same way. Um, I learned an awful lot from Mike and, of course, Steve Kern. Um, if it wasn't for Steve, I never would have been in the business. And uh, um, just just the overall knowledge that they they handed down, um, just being around them and being able to be in the ring with them, you'd pick up so much and you'd learn. I'd listen and learn. And um, they were just some of the best storytellers ever. So I was very, very blessed to, uh, to have been associated with those gentlemen. Shortly after you arrived in WCW, um, my notes have it here that Bill Watts took over the booking. What was it like working for him, and what was the reaction of most of the boys as he was kind of more so of an old school kind of guy and very strict with just about everything? Well, to my knowledge, uh, when I went into WCW, Bill Watts was already gone. Um, I don't think I ever worked worked with Bill Watts. Uh, when I first came up to WCW, Kevin Sullivan uh, had the book and was the booker. Okay. Uh, my mistake there. I apologize. Because um, I, I know that all happened real quick. They went through Jim Hurd and Bill Watts and then Sullivan and Bischoff all in a matter of just, it's kind of a blur. But, um, well, let me ask you this then. When, you know, you're there and then bigger names like Hogan and Savage and Luger, start showing up from the WWF and are headed to WCW. Was that a key sign for all of you guys that you could reach their level and even surpass them? Well, you know, again, um, um, like I say, just uh, the, the magnitude, the star appeal that those guys uh, had. It's, in other words, when they walked into a room, you knew they were somebody. Um it's all about putting putting fans in seats, and um, yeah, I mean it was uh, the attitude was that um, you know we could WCW definitely could compete, um, which I think was a proven proven deal with the Monday Night Wars and everything. So you know, just being like I say, being around uh, some of those guys with uh, you know. Huge names and huge egos. Um, there, there was the attitude that, uh, yeah, you know, it wouldn't be stopped. The, um, the, the one real interesting thing that Monday Night Nitro did that at the time WWE wasn't doing, or WWF, I should say, was you guys were going live every Monday night with Monday Night Nitro. What kind of benefits does it, does it give you as a, as a product, as a company, to do live shows as opposed to tape shows, but at the same time, what kind of challenges does that present as well? Well, with, with a live, live uh, show production, there's no no second take. Um, something doesn't go the way you expected it to. You have to be able to improvise um, on the spot. Uh, tape shows, you know, if you had something go awry, you could always edit the tape or you could redo the match or whatever you needed to do. Um, live performances, I think, uh, brought out the best in everybody because they had that mindset that you get one shot, one take. There's no redos. 
We had Bill DeMont on the show a few weeks ago. One of the things we talked about was the NWO. You know, it, it was so popular with the fans. It went on for so long. Eventually, it kind of faded out as they really extended it probably too much. What do, what do you think about the NWO? I mean, you were there to see it live. Was that really one of the biggest things that ever hit wrestling? And why do you feel like it was so popular with the fans? I think it, uh, you know, the way that uh, they introduced the NWO with, you know, first Scott Hall appearing on uh, on a live Nitro out of the blue, and everybody knew that he, had, you know, the last time they had seen him was in the in the WWF or WWE, and uh, then to bring Kevin Nash out a week or so or two weeks later, whatever it was, that that was the big buzz. And I think the thing that really set the NWO on fire is when they turned Hogan and he joined them. Um, I don't think anybody's seen that coming. Um, and it just shows you what kind of, uh, what kind of, you know, ability Hogan has, whether he was, you know, baby face and the biggest hero of all time to how quickly the people, you know, turned on him and he was instantly the biggest heel. Um, you know, so he was uh, he was instrumental, I think, in getting the whole deal. And then towards, you know, the end, I mean, everybody was NWO. Then it was like, you know, every guy that came in, that, you know, it was just too much. And that's what I think killed the killed the whole angle. You had two factions. You had the black and white, the red and white. You know, after a while, it was just, you know, in my opinion, it was just way too much. So this next question is something I've wanted to ask you for a long time, and I'm really grateful to get this interview. Um, again, I've talked to a ton of managers and wrestlers and valets, but I want to say with the exception of Bill Alfonso, you're really my first um, referee uh, and someone who was a, kind of strictly a referee. So I really do appreciate this. Now, this next question to me is very, very interesting. You did not ref this match. However, Starrcade 97 was built up for Sting versus Hogan for such a long time that the build up for this was gigantic. Um, I remember watching it as a fan and being so excited, you know, for the, the hero to finally topple the bad guy. But unfortunately, the main event of Starrcade 1997 did not go off without a hitch. Um, they had Sting win the match, but they claimed Nick Patrick had a fast count. It, it was not a fast count. You know, you being a referee, was there a lot of pressure on Nick Patrick in that situation to, to please Hogan and Bischoff? Or, you know, what do you feel went wrong in that entire situation? Because it really was a disaster and, and kind of began a, a downslide for WCW. I mean, you know, I don't think you can, you can solely place the blame on the referee, and especially uh, Nick Patrick. Nick, Nick is one of the best. In fact, I was just watching earlier today um, – a post he had put on Facebook of some of his old clips when they, you know, WCW first and quote unquote invaded the WWE. And uh, Nick, Nick is, uh, he was better on the mic uh, than 90% of the guys as far as cutting a promo. Uh, Nick, Nick is a second generation wrestler. His father being Jody Hamilton is one of the original assassins. Um, you know, so I don't really think you can place the blame there. I think egos had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, I really don't know because I was not that high up on the on the food chain, quote unquote. But 
I'm, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, had a lot to do with egos and, and, um, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. You know, and again, someone has to just do their job and I get in and trust me when I say I'm not placing any blame at all, like zero uh, on Nick Patrick for that situation. And just to me, it just seems so odd how it all went down. Um, here's a fun one for you. Who is the most gifted athlete you've ever shared a ring with? And you don't have to limit it to you know one guy. You could name several, but just as far as like a physical specimen athlete. Um, there's been quite a few. Kurt Hennig, definitely. Um, I think he was one of the most gifted gifted athletes there ever has been. Um, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko. Um, there's a lot of guys that fit that fit that description. Mike Graham, um, you know, the basic basic core wrestlers that could get in there and go all night and and make it look easy. Um, Bret Hart, another one, um, just smooth as silk in the ring. Uh, Shawn Michaels, you know, guys like that that just can can not only tell a story but make it very, very believable on what they're doing at the same time. Yeah, I mean, definitely listen to some of the greats there. Um, I wanted to ask you, too, what, you know, again, because it, it's, it's a job for everybody, right? you got to show up, you do what you're told. You, I, I understand that, you know, referees and officials probably don't even get much, you know, room to give feedback on things. But one of the kookier things that uh, WCW ever did when you were there was when they had Kevin Nash, um, well, a couple things actually. First of all, they had Kevin Nash defeat Goldberg, and then uh, you know a few weeks later, um, he loses with the finger poke of doom. You know, what were your thoughts on some of that? I mean, did you agree with those kinds of decisions being made, having a that epic winning streak stopped, and then only for Nash to drop the belt a few weeks later? Or was it, or again, was it just kind of like, you know, show up and work and not question anything? Yeah, I mean, you know, I had thoughts on it. I mean, I still do. I think that was really the the last dagger in in uh, in the heart of WCW when they. I mean, they had a tremendous run with Bill Goldberg, and it could have went so much longer. It could have been so much better. The storyline, um, again, uh, egos, big egos. Um, you know, we didn't, the problem with WCW was eh, there was factions. Everybody thought they were a boss or in charge of something or other difference between them and the WWE. There's one boss there and everybody knows who it is. There's no question. Um, I, I didn't think it was the right time or the right way to do it. Um, but again, I'm just a referee. I'd show up. They'd tell me what to do. I'd go out there and do it. That's, that's pretty much the truth. You know, a unique thing too was, uh, that notorious match where David Arquette becomes the world champion. You were there. I mean, you were there firsthand for that one. Um, again, I mean, and I'm not asking you to kind of repeat the exact answer you just gave. I, I totally get it, but you know what, I mean, what was going through your mind when you, when you saw that on the booking sheet? Uh, you know, that, that to this day, I think, remains the biggest embarrassment of my career, um, in my opinion. 
that I, I was in the middle of all of that. Um, but again, um, you know, decision was not mine. Um, I either did what they wanted me to do or I wouldn't have had a job. So, um, you know, again, that, that kind of goes back to the, to the same idea of like when we had, uh, James Brown on a pay-per-view in, uh, San Francisco. And of course they were bringing him out to, uh, you know, play in Ernest the Cat Miller. Um, and, uh, they didn't advertise it. It ought to be a big surprise. Well, if you had James Brown, one of the biggest rock and roll stars in history, on your program, wouldn't you advertise that to sell tickets? I mean, to me, that was one of the dumbest decisions I was ever part of. Yeah, it seems like common sense. You know, uh, you would think promotions alone would tell you that. I, I agree. So wanted to kind of talk, you know, a little bit um, briefly about the, the, the WWE before we wrap up the interview with you. And, um, you know, one, one of the more interesting things the WWE tried to do, um, and you alluded to it a little bit ago when, it, when we talked about the invasion angle, right? So WCW comes in and they kind of bring back some of the older ECW guys. They do the invasion angle. And then a couple years later, they tried to form a newly formed version of, of ECW. You were definitely one of the referees, you know, in, in that process. Um, why do you feel like the the new, as they called it, like the new ECW, didn't exactly work out probably as everybody would have hoped? Well, you know, I think that kind of went back to, to Vince and, and Paul Heyman uh, not being on the same page. Vince wanted one thing, Paul. Paul wanted to do a version of the original ECW. And, and um, you know, to me, I think uh, it was just kind of like too much, too much all at once. You had Raw, you had SmackDown. Now they're going to, you know, put ECW in the mix of that. And um, I don't know. I just, I think it was just creative differences that, uh, you know, like I say, you had to, the, the major draws were definitely on Raw and on SmackDown, and then you know they'd move guys over periodically to to help draw numbers. And uh, I just I don't know. Uh, again, I'm just a referee, or was just a referee. So I, you know, um, there's a lot of things that have went uh, went down that I would I would have done differently um, from the way I was trained, the way I was learned. But it's it's almost the lost art nowadays. Um, um, you know, it's just, uh, not, not so much storytelling, just more flip flop and fly. And, uh, you know, why, why do 20 things if you can do two things and make them believable? That's, that's kind of my outlook on it. So I got a couple of questions left for you. And again, I want to thank you for your time today. I know it's, uh, you know, everybody's so busy nowadays, so I really do appreciate it. Um, one thing I, d- I did want to tell you, too, you know, years ago, uh, we're based here in Cleveland, Ohio, and years ago, you know, um, the WWE had come to Cleveland, and, uh, you know, me and my buddies are hanging out at the Marriott Hotel, hoping to meet wrestlers. You were one of the guys who came through. You were nice enough to stop, sign an autograph, take a picture with us. So never really got to thank you, but that, that had to be at least 15 years ago. So 
wanted to thank you here on the podcast. I just always thought that was really cool. What was it like, you know, in general, just being on the road, you know, how often did you get recognized? And, you know, I understand like it's a tough life because you're away from your family and I get all that, but what were some of the cool aspects about getting to do the job that you did? was traveling uh get, getting to go places i never dreamt i would have gone um i went around the world three times been to australia japan all over europe um i would have never had the opportunity to do any of that um you know getting to meet people on the road and uh experiencing new things like you know they, almost every town that that we'd go to, we'd discover a really good restaurant or, a, you know, something really neat to do. So we always look forward to, we seen that town on the booking sheet, oh, great, we can go to, you know, this place and eat again, or we can do that. So it, it was just a lot of fun um, being able to travel and just the camaraderie, hanging with the guys, like I say, that, uh, you know, that, I spent more time on the road with, with the boys than actually at home. So it was like, uh, that was family. And that was, uh, that was one of the greatest learning experiences of my life. Who was your favorite road partner? Uh Oh, you still there? You still there, sir? Yeah. Oh, Sorry about that. No, I'm not sure what, what in the world's going on with our phone lines today. But the question was... Okay, so um, two, two last questions here for referee Mickey Henson. And again, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Truly appreciate it. Um, you've talked about it numerous times about what it was like working for Vince McMahon, Bischoff, um, you know, all these different guys. One of the most unique situations, and I say this as a, as a huge Bret Hart fan. I was a gigantic, I still am to this day, uh, my all-time favorite wrestler, Bret Hart. You know, you weren't even there. You were in WCW at the time. But in 1997, when the Montreal Screwjob went down, if you were in that situation, like let's say we put you in Earl Hudner's shoes in that situation, what do you do? pretty much do what what Earl did because Earl needed a job and uh, you know when the bottom line when it comes down to it whoever's signing your paycheck that's that's who you listen to so you know I think that was I don't know you know again that was that was something that was between out of the referee's hands for sure um, it, it's it's a shame anyone anyone Earl or anybody would be put into that position, um, you know, but again, he had to do what he did because if not, he wouldn't have had a job. Last question for you today, and to me, this is the most important one above everything else. You know, we've talked about wrestling, but if you don't mind, I think you have a very inspirational story. Everything I've looked in and, and did the research on, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you overcame cancer, correct? Well, I'm still breathing, so I don't know if you can say I overcame it, but yes, I was uh, diagnosed in September of 2008 uh, with mantle cell lymphoma, which is a form of blood cancer um, similar to, lymph- or to um, 
Well, it's a form of lymphoma. And of course, then they told me there was 40 different kinds and mantle cell being the rarest of them all, lucky me. Um, but um, when I was diagnosed, the original doctor told me go to go get my affairs in order. I had six months. Well, he was a little off the mark. So um, through the grace of, of God and, and my Lord Jesus, that uh, I'm still here. A um, friend of mine up in Cleveland, actually, Tony Bacho, uh, came down here to Key West and drugged me back up to his house there uh, in West Cleveland and, and got me into the Cleveland Clinic, which basically saved my life. So I'm uh, still on uh, treatment to this day. Um, um, I will be for the rest of my life. and But I feel good. I mean, I'm very blessed to uh, have made it this far. And, um, you know, just trying to... Uh, Take one day at a time. I'm I'm very blessed, and and thank you for even uh, mentioning and knowing that. I appreciate that. Well, listen, uh, you know you have a place to stay at the McKee House anytime you need it. If you ever have to come back up here for treatments, um, you know it's funny. The Cleveland Clinic is uh, it's, it's one of the biggest things we have. I mean, you talked about a little bit earlier about visiting different cities for, you know, restaurants and, and you find these like, you know, stopping points in, in every city and state. Um, Cleveland has plenty of them. So plenty of places to eat. But the one thing we really are known for is our healthcare out here. And the Cleveland clinic is just such a massive thing. So, um, it, it warms my heart. I, I'll be honest. I did not know that part of the story. I did some digging. Uh, I realized you overcame a lot. Um, like you said, you're still fighting it, but Above all else, you know, as you said in this interview numerous times, you know, there were, there were certain things you couldn't change, right? As, as much as you would like to change it, you couldn't. But in a situation like that where you were given the chance to fight, you did just that. You fought. And to me, you know, if our fans could take one thing away from this, this interview, I think it should be that. So here, you know, to, to wrap everything up, if fans want to follow your career or learn more about you um, or just really, you know, touch base with what you're doing nowadays – how can they um, how can they do that? I mean, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm on Facebook, so uh, um, you know they can reach out to me on Facebook or anything like that. I'm just kind of kind of happy being you know being here in Key West and uh, uh, just living in the, in the nice, warm and most of the time sunny sunny island uh not so much today but uh, and another thing if there's any music fans out there i've been doing a friend of mine here in key west is a local musician very very talented and uh if you like old old style country music um I had a little band i'm i'm helping promote down here called farewell to cowboys and uh just go on Facebook and and look look up Farewell to Cowboys, hit the like button, and uh, we try to keep people uh, posted on happenings in and around Key West. I'm really looking forward to November. We have ZZ Top coming down here. And I uh, just dug out a picture I had taken with Billy Gibbons in Las Vegas backstage quite a few years ago. And hopefully I'm going to be able to connect with him and get him to sign it for me while he's down here. So... Um, you know, um, like I say, I'm just here. If anybody's ever coming to Key West and everything, let me know. And, 
you know, I'll, I'll show you some of the best watering holes in town. Ah, that sounds like a plan to me. Definitely sounds like a plan. Well, hey, we do appreciate it very much. We want to wish you the best of luck, and uh, we're going to keep you in our prayers moving forward. Sound good? And again, we want to thank our uh, guest today, Mickey Henson. Uh, truly a, a very inspirational story, as, as he touched upon there at the very end, with um, you know coming up to the Cleveland Clinic and, and really saving his life. Uh, it just it's I'll tell you what, never count on tomorrow, right? Always tomorrow is a gift. You know, today is the present, yesterday is the past, tomorrow is a gift. So always, always keep that in mind. Great stuff today. Um, you know, people are like, well, you know, why would you have a referee on? Well, I'll tell you what, the referee is a huge part of every match. Without a, without a referee, there is no match. And to me, um, you know, he was part of WCW through some very, very interesting stretches, um, obviously into the WWE. A lot of questions I had written down I didn't even have to ask because he touched on them with other answers, so it was perfect. You know, one of which, you know, working for Vince McMahon. And when you really think about it, you know, AWA with Vern Gagne, uh, WWE, then, or F then E with Vince McMahon, Dub C, uh, Dub with uh, Ted Turner and Eric Bischoff. He worked for a lot of influential people in the industry, in the business, and it was outstanding to get his feedback. Uh, definitely, as he said, I think some Eagles took over when it came to Nash and Goldberg and, and Sting and Hogan. Um, yeah, really couldn't agree more on that. Guys, we want to thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Key on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Vince McKee. For our guest, Mickey Hudson, everybody have a tremendous day.